All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 54 of the KISS FAQ podcast. Um, We're recording this in 2016, so now I can legitimately say Happy New Year. Hope everyone had a safe and sound holiday season. Um, Joining me today are Alex. Thank you for jumping in at the last minute. Ken, as always, it's good to see you. And Mark from the Great White North, welcome back. So we're not going to hang out too long on the the New Year stuff, but... uh, you know, anyone get any good Christmas presents? Kissmas presents. Well, I didn't. I didn't get necessarily anything kiss wise, but I did get a cool Peter Gabriel two hundred gram vinyl reissue of uh, Peter Gabriel too. But, but like I was mentioning earlier before we started, I've been really get, getting a lot of kiss vinyl now. So it's kind of been a New Year's thing that I'm starting now. So there you go. Cool, Ken. Anything? Uh, nothing. I think I got some. I didn't get any kiss. Stuff just uh, I think uh, I got a Rush All the World's a Stage uh, CD so that nice. yeah, hey that's a good one. No, no one yes. around here is going to complain about Rush. So yes, Alex, and you're yeah. back. You're back at school now, aren't you? I am in my new apartment uh, and stuff. But yeah, no, nothing. Christmas, you know. I but I did. It was I want to say it was in November. Uh, Mike, I think it's Blozer. He's from Alaska. Uh, he sent me one of the little cups though from the Kiss Cruise and. Tommy, Gene, and Paul's guitar picks from the Silway show and the Electric Land show. So I guess if anything, Kissmas, I got it early. Nice. So nice. thanks, Mike. That's very cool. So let's jump into today's topic. Um, today is about Sonic Monsters, and that Sonic Boom monster kisses, you know, previous two studio efforts, and what we're hoping to get out of them should they go into the studio in. 2016 and i'm glad to see a couple of guys are prepared because i've got nothing to hold up other than my soda um, so let's jump in quickly and when we we talk about you know psycho circus for me i never wanted that to be the band's final studio effort there's just something about it it had had a bunch of bad mojo attached to it so as good as a lot of the music is on that as an album um, it just feels wrong to me still. So, 2007, they put out an album in Japan, Jukoku Retsuden, something to that effect. And I just butchered it, so apologies to any Japanese fan who's listening, uh, which was the re recordings. And that's included on Sonic Boom in most markets. So, we'd gotten to hear Paul Stanley sing in 2007. We'd kind of gotten to hear the band as they sounded. You know, in the studio and how they were going to approach things. They come along, 2009 Sonic Boom comes out, and uh, let's start with initial impressions. And Alex, what was your initial impression with Sonic Boom? Was it one of glee and, oh my god, SpongeBob moments? Um, I was excited, you know, I was on the message board at that time, and so I remember, like, you know, seeing the post with the different song titles that were kind of coming out at interviews. And so, there was so much, I think there was excitement because it was like, oh, I wonder what Hot and Cold's going to sound like and stuff. And then, you know, I remember hearing on one of the episodes of Podcast with Keith LaRue where he mentioned that Tommy's song had a weather theme and stuff. And, you know, so I was, when he saw the title of When Lightning Strikes, like, that's got to be Tommy's song. Um, you know, so I remember going to, uh, to Walmart uh, the day he came out. Of course, there was no Kiss Corner there, so Walmart Kiss, what happened? Um, 
and, and picking up the album. And, and I was excited. Um, it was, I really liked it. There was definitely good songs. I don't know. I think the only song that was just kind of a bore to me was I'm an Animal. It just seemed to go really slow. But no, there was excitement. I mean, after hearing, of course, Modern Day Delight, I think the uh, single and the clip came out in August of that year. Um, and so there was, you know, much, much excitement um, coming with that. And, um, you know, of course, they won. They won a lot of men's show and stuff. Um, so, I mean, I was so I was happy. The packaging was great. Yeah, the music video of, of Modern Day Delilah where they're walking at Cobo Hall and stuff. Um, excellent. Ex- excellent show. Um, but the album, yeah, it was good. I was stoked. Uh, packaging was great. Um, I don't like how the packaging hasn't held up, though. I do wish there was a jewel case. And I think I remember Rising Force like ordering one off Europe and stuff because it came with the jewel case from yep. Europe. And, was, and I did the same thing because I hate jewel cases. Uh, no, sorry. I hate digipacks for the passion. <laughs> they suck. <laughs> they don't fit into my CD holders anyway. All right, Ken, what about you? Initial impressions on Sonic Boom. Well, initial impressions, there was, I was excited about it. Um, so we're waiting 11 years for this album to come out. and um, We didn't know if they were going to record anything, but that, I was very happy. Any new Kiss music is always good for me. I mean, you know, maybe you're not gonna get all the songs are gonna be the greatest, but uh, you're usually gonna get a couple of gems every time. You know, they'll become classics, and you know, going down the road. So, I was happy about it. I went like Alex first day. I went to Walmart the first day. Yes, there was no Kiss corner. Um, there was they had some T-shirts, you know, for a good deal, a couple of T-shirts and. Uh, but I picked up the, the the CD, and then there was another area. It wasn't a Kiss Corner, but it was where I picked up some of the Kiss M and M's. Um, oh God, I, think I remember had, those now. Yeah, <laughs> I still have a bag, you know, unopened. But uh, and then uh, there was something else I bought there too. I think it was a little box that had the cards, some some cards in it, right? Um, like baseball type cards, but uh, yeah, I was excited, um, and I decided to get home and, and you know start listening to it. Mark, how about you? Well, um, I got to admit, I was pretty excited. Um, I think, if I memory serves me correctly, I think they might have had one or two of those clips of them in the studio working on it before or around the time it came out. And I remember when I saw it, I was like. You know, that that to me kind of got me excited whenever you see little clips like that of them working on something and, you know, you don't really know what song it is yet because it hasn't come out yet, right? So you're like, hmm, that sounds interesting. And I remember thinking, okay, I was excited, but I have to admit I had a little bit of uh, trepidation. Like, how is this going to sound? You know, just, there's a, you know I, I know how Eric is. He's a great drummer. But Tommy was sort of the unproven commodity studio-wise, right? So, um well, he did a good my job friend, on Psycho Circus, didn't he? Well, well, yeah, yeah, of course. But uh, he, one of my friends bought a copy of it, and he's run, he's like a guy I played with in a few bands before, and we used to call him the Skipper because he would buy a CD and he would never listen to a song fully. He put it in, listen to like thirty seconds, skip it, listen to another song, <laughs> skip it. And he'd never listen to anything fully. I'm like, what is this guy never listens to anything fully? So I took took advantage of that because I wanted to buy my own copy and listen to it thoroughly. So I jumped in his car when he bought it because I knew I wouldn't listen to the whole thing because he would never listen to everything fully. So he put it in. He skipped through the whole album in about three minutes. So I got a little bit of each song. 
and I was kind of excited. I liked the I liked the fact that they had a Peter like a sorry Peter an Eric song in there, right? They had a you know an spaceman song in there as well. So I thought that they that was a good idea that they kind of stuck with the everybody has their moment in there, and uh, you know I thought modern day Delilah was cool. The only thing that I ever had a comment with, and it's the only thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more today, is that I just thought that the production was good. But I thought it could have been a bit better. That's the only thing compared to Psycho Circus that I thought was a bit lacking. I thought Psycho Circus had phenomenal production by Bruce Fairburn, but you know maybe the songs weren't as you know up to par as you know Sonic Boom is. I think Sonic Boom really harkens back to the kind of '70s style that they were probably gunning for. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, if they could have made Sonic Boom sound like Asylum, it would have been perfection for me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alex, let's uh, go to you for some of uh, your high points on the album and low points. What are your highs? What are your lows? Uh, high points, um, you know, uh, the first two tracks are <coughs> Monday Delilah. Um, track four, standout track. Uh, yes, I know, Nobody's Perfect. Classic sounding Gene song. I mean, I remember making a playlist. I use an iPhone and making playlists all the times for like you know different you know things. And I remember just kind of throwing in "Yes I Know" into a little playlist of like or slipping it into "Rock and Roll Over" and even "Love Gun," and it just it fit perfectly in my opinion. And so it had a classic sound. I enjoyed "Stand." Um, I got like some of those anthemic songs. My only thing that I don't like with "Stand" is in the first chorus part. Uh, when he goes like stand next to me, I'll be in. And he goes when you need me, and I'm like, oh, I felt like he came too early with his, you know, anthemic. You know, I'm there for you. I'm Paul Stanley. I got you guys. Yeah, um, living. So I thought I thought he came a little early there. That's uh, like my only like eh, with that. Um, hot and uh, hot and cold, uh, hot and cold. Great song. Um, I loved uh, the song Eric did, uh, All for the Glory. Um, I'm an animal was the only one that seemed to go slow for me. Um, Dangerous. Uh, it's got a. I like dangerous. It's kind of fun, you know. Just the fun with the the word, you know. Fun with words. When lightning strikes was excellent. Of course, you know. I think Tommy must have watched a little bit of Saturday Night Live because he really took full advantage of the cowbell on that song. Um, and then um, uh, uh, say yeah. Um, it, it grew. Say yeah had to grow on me a little bit. Um, I'm sorry if I'm talking fast. Uh, say yeah had to grow though a little bit on me. Um, it wasn't didn't really get I think my my approval until I saw them on the two thousand ten hottest show on Oath Tour and he did it live and it was really good. And luckily Paul didn't do the whole boom 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 thing, so <laughs> Yeah, that that's that's a little bit fortunate. Uh Mark, what about you? High points, low points? Well, I agree with most of the stuff. I mean modern day Delilah and Russian Roulette are really really strong. I really like those songs. I have to agree that my favorite song probably is Yes, I Know. I think that was a real surprise for me that Gene came up with such a, you know, I know it's a, it's a song that he's probably had in his back pocket for a long, long time, but now that he's finally kind of, you know, trimmed away the fat on it and turned it into a decent song, I think it turned out really good, surprisingly good, in my opinion. Um, All for the Glory, I, I like it. Um, it's it was this. It was kind of surprising because I mean, traditionally, even though in the past Peter's the Peter songs have done relatively well, I mean, it's surprising how uh, you know Hard Luck Woman and stuff like that were actually pretty decently charting songs in other parts of the country. Um, 
They were never always my favorite songs, though. But this one I like more. It has a bit more rock flair to it, you know. And I like I love Eric Singer's voice. So that's a, a really standout point. And uh, I really like Say Ya. I mean, it's surprising that they ended a record with such a strong song. That hasn't happened for a long time, I think. I mean, the last record I can think of that they ended with such a good song as maybe Creatures was uh, War Machine, right? So... Um, yeah, because, I mean, it's a really good song. It didn't really need to grow on me as much as maybe it did with Alex, but I, you know, I can see how with some people it might rub them the wrong way at first, right? But I I, I think as for the standouts, those are the ones, but the the ones that I don't like as much, I agree, I'm an animal. I didn't really click to too much. The hot and cold, it was, eh. And stand, I didn't really catch to too much. When, light, the, when lightning strikes, I didn't mind it, but again, I'm minding that because he has to stick into such a bracket lyrically with his stuff, it's the only thing that kind of doesn't, you know, why maybe doesn't stick with me as much because it, you kind of already know what you're going to get with his song. It's already predetermined it's going to be about space or something like that, so you know what I mean? It's I think if, you, if they would allow him to broaden his lyrical palette a bit, I might like his stuff a bit more. That's cool. I mean, I, I'm going to totally agree, and I'm going to jump in with mine. Say Yeah, I absolutely love, and I think that's a Modern Kiss classic. And I think ending the album on such a strong note was really important with the two songs that preceded it, because I'm an Animal sucks. Um, I think it's absolutely yeah. dreadful. Someone should have been saying, Gene, Peter already recorded and released a song that's got most of these lyrics in it. Your recycling's just gone one step too far here. Um, and it's so slow. It, it just doesn't, it's, doesn't fit with the rest of the album. When Lightning Strikes, I mean, is a good effort by Tommy. I, I think he does a fine job musically and vocally. I just think the content sucks, and it tries too hard to be that space theme and electric theme for Ace. And so it's just so contrived that it really should have been another one that someone said, really, we're trying too hard here. We're overthinking it. You know, get something a little bit more organic. Um and, and while I'm on a negative theme, I'm going to also go and mention the Poison song, Never Enough. Absolutely atrocious. I cannot stand that song. I become the skipper when that song comes on. Um, but for for those three weak songs, I'm my, probably my favorite song, and I've listened to this album all week, um, getting ready for this just to get back into like that 2009 groove. All for the glory. Every time it comes on, it just stands out as being a really, really strong song um, in terms of how it's written. And Eric's performance is absolutely fantastic. So obviously he didn't write it. Um, as for that, I'm going to echo Nobody's Perfect. Fantastic. I mean, it was a, a cool riff and song in 85, 84, 85 when it was demoed. And my, I guess my third pick, if i got to go with one, I'm going to take Modern Day Delilah as the single. You know, it was a strong strong single i didn't really get the concept originally uh but musically it's a really cool track ken what about you yeah i mean i agree with most of what you guys are, are saying and the direction you're going um you know modern day delilah russian roulette um it's a great start off um and yes i know nobody's perfect you know that that turned out to be a pretty darn good song um and stand like like Alex was saying. I mean, I, that was one of the first ones that really grabbed me at the beginning. Um, you know, uh, where they're they're kind of joining in on the singing. Um, yeah, but yeah, like he said with Paul jumping in, I felt the same way. 
I mean, leave it towards the end of the song where he's done that before, like the end of like Crazy Nights or something like that, where you um, start you know talking or or was it um, the other one? Um, God gave rock and roll to you. Yeah, God gave rock and roll to you, where he does that. So um, yeah, keep it to the end. I think it would have been a little bit better, but it's still still a great song. Um, All for the glory. That's another one that I liked right away too. And I think I've told told the story before where they were playing that on ESPN uh, at one time when the album came out as an advertisement, you know, background music for uh, college football. I remember them doing that, and I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, they're playing Kiss on TV. What's going on here?" I got a, I got a fun story with that. So I, obviously, some you know, I uh, I did a mission, an LDS mission, and obviously you can't listen to regular music and stuff but we had a mission one that said if it invites the spirit then it's okay and I got that song I got my friend sent me the mp3 of it and I snuck it on a mix CD and stuff I was like look guys it's all for the glory you know come on guys it's there cool you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's a song I had on my mission and stuff so that's really cool now it's, yeah. now it's out there no, I can't get in trouble though <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a good one yeah so that's a good song um, I, I'm an animal. That was a slow builder. I mean, it's grown on me kind of over time, but it's still, you know, not as you know, up to par with some of the other stuff. And yes, the when lightning strikes, I'm okay with it. It's it's pretty good, um, but yeah, it's kind of it's too you know they're reaching for the ace thing uh, too much on this on that. Uh, and of course, say yeah is a, another great song. Like Julian said, is a classic. So I mean. You know, most of it's pretty good, and uh, you know the the bad songs. I don't know, like you said, "Dangerous" is like a that poison song. It's compared to the poison. Uh, I can't remember the poison song offhand, but nothing but a good time. Nothing but a good time. So it's compared to that. Um, um, they they you know think they stole it or something, but there's um, there's plenty of borrowing on the album. I mean that that Tommy song also has elements of ACDC that comes through in parts of it, and that just that just drives me nuts mm. because. ACDC is like sacrosanct, you know, and you know, <laughs> here, here he is, he's riffing on ACDC while dressed up as Ace, uh, you know, while doing a yeah. lightning theme. Yeah, so the, the other thing about it is, you know, uh, you know, th- th- there's some great solos, but a lot of them sound familiar because Tommy has borrowed from Ace's past solos in certain cases. Like, wait a minute, I heard that solo on whatever song back in, you know, 70s. Um, just to kill or something, and uh, <coughs> I mean he he can emulate him pretty darn well, obviously because he well, he has to play like like Ace uh, every night every concert. So they probably said to play like him, you know, and he probably you know he just used some of those it was Aceisms uh, on the on the songs, and you know some people had a bad you know you know uh, problem with it, but you know it made it sound yeah more like the classic Kiss going back. Um, so it's there's a good and bad to that, but uh, I don't know. It's a good album though. I like it. So guitar wise, they may have had a checklist of acisms. Okay, did you do this? Did you do this <laughs> on that solo? Uh, go I back, remember, go back and do it again. Two more bends, please. Well, I, yeah. I guess it, I guess it wasn't Ace, but I remember I saw her. It sounded like I'm trying to remember what song it was. I think it was Dangerous. That's where the solo reminded me of Sweet Pain. Mm-hmm. The solo on Sweet Pain. Stuff, so I guess that was oh, which is stuff. which now on Sweet Pain? Which solo on Sweet Pain? The original, the, the original, the original Destroyer. Which one. is wasn't which wasn't Ace? Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, Somebody else, but interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I got to throw a quick packaging. 
you know, it kind of blew my mind, which uh, I thought was really cheesy. And you could tell it's what makes, I think, some of the packaging not great. In the booklet, you get the little, and you get in the middle, and you got the picture of the band. And it's this terribly photoshopped photo of the band because they tried to, like, change up, like, the costumes and stuff. And mm. I remember being a little disappointed with the packaging. You know, if I could just jump in on one thing here really quickly before we get to the next little point. The one thing I think that they did really smart about this record, and I think we kind of touched upon this really quickly, is that the whole use of the internet with the whole doing of the clips. I know I mentioned it before, and just really quickly, I'll just put it up there just really quick. But, you know, them showing them in the studio doing this stuff, I know that a lot of people really found this exciting like i know being a musician when i see stuff like this i really got into the idea of like you know there's a new record coming you know i want to get excited about it and when you see them in the studio doing this you know you want to like i said i i've made it a point of searching out every possible clip i could find of them recording the record you know what i mean and just to get a glimpse of what it sounded like did they have any kind of you know debates about things? What kind of you know topics they discussed while they were in the studio? This is all really really fascinating to me. And like there, you see Gene playing a really old kind of bass guitar, and you think to yourself, "Wow, you know, like I didn't know he would go back to such kind of vintage gear for this record." But I mean, it really showed that they were trying to harken back to his whole '70s kind of vibe and approach to their recording. So I thought that that was one thing that they did really smart with this is that they kind of use the internet to their advantage to help push the record. Totally. They did a very good job with that. Um, Alex is going to have to drop off in a couple of minutes, so let's get to you, Alex, on um, who do you think the MVP is on the album and you know what would have made the album better and you know, and just like uh, Mark mentioned, the, the artwork. You know, mm-hmm. So let's get your thoughts on those three items. Um, I'd say the MVP, i got to go with Gene, uh, just with Yes, I Know. I mean, granted, he did bring a time an animal, but I think he really surprised everybody. I think, you know, it was, um, I mean, Paul definitely brought some good stuff, too. And obviously, uh, you know, Eric doesn't have any songwriting credits, but obviously his contribution of, of drumming uh, was great. But I think John, Gene, <laughs> John, <laughs> Gene, with Yes, I Know, um, excellent, excellent. Artwork is fantastic. Uh, Michael Dorrit did a great job. I remember uh, uh, helping Kiss uh, Podkiss get an interview with him uh, right around when the album came out, and he was so cool. I don't have it here, but Michael Dorrit sent him, um, a press proof, a printing proof of the Rock and Roll Over cover to me and signed it and stuff, you know, for, for doing the show. So that was really cool. Um, so I, the artwork was great, and I, and I do got to say, I love how the band was able to pretty much keep everything low-key and a secret, too. Even though you had some of those clips and stuff, they still kept some elements of surprises and everything. I think that was uh, excellent with marketing with the album. Very cool, Alex. Well, if you've got to go and do some real life... I will, yeah. But I'll be back, hopefully. Yeah. Well, let me just do this. Since we're going to be talking monster, I'll at least start my songs I like from the album. Yeah, do, please. So you guys get there. Because I have it here. I only like really six of them. I think production... Could have been a little bit better. Um, I know I, I don't understand when people say like some of the techniques or terms for production, but I know I'm not crazy for it. But the songs that you like off Monster was Long Way Down, Out of This World, All for the Love of Rock and Roll, Take Me Down Below, Last Chance, and Right Here, Right Now. I do like the intro to um, Eat Your Heart Out, but yeah, I really have to get to the second half of the album before I really get into it. Uh, Freak's not a terrible track, just not my favorite. I know a lot of people love it. And uh, Hella Hallelujah, just uh, I like some of the live versions I've heard of it, but 
the uh, studio one just doesn't do it for me. But very cool. But if they if they do an album in 2016, what would you like them to do? Um, Stylistically or whatever. I like them to do uh, to do what they want to do comfortably. Um, you know, I love Sonic Boom. I think Sonic Boom is a great album, and I think they got great efforts. I think if they can um, get some of the same stuff that they had going on with um, between the two, I think production-wise, I like um, that song they did, Samurai Sun, the production. I mean, I know they got little synths and stuff like that, but the production of it is really good. So I hope they can maybe capture the sound projection, especially the drums and stuff with with like Samurai Sun as, as a sound. And... Um, and go from there. Um, you know, I love that Sonic oh, Monster had more songs on it. So I love more songs, but, you know, I'd rather have them do a nine-track album and give me nine quality tracks instead of 13, so- 13 tracks where I don't even like half half of it, so. Yeah, you don't need another Hot in the Shade. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> please, no. But, well, you guys have a good week in the Unikiss Fat community and stuff. Enjoy yourselves. Yeah, Alex, thanks for chiming in and joining us for a bit. Take care now. Take care, man. Take care. See ya. All right, Ken, let's go to you with that question. Pick an MVP for the album if you could or can or will. Um, You know, I'm going to just pick the band as an MVP on this one because they all had great contributions to to the album. Um, Jeans did a great, you know, some great good songs on there, and Paul also. Um, and you know, Eric Singer, I mean, Eric Singer, his drumming is, you know, it's always right on, you know, and, uh, his performance on All For The Glory is, is just great. Um, and then, you know, Tommy was, was good. I mean, he, he did, I'm sure what he was told to do and, you know, playing like Ace <laughs> on that album, um. He doesn't do it on the next, as we'll probably go over. But um, it, you know, he was he did what he needed to do, and it it, it made it sound more classic Kiss um, than you know we've heard in a long time. So um, that's the MVP. The band just the band. doing it. Yeah, you know, to a certain extent, I agree with you that 2009 was you know about the band and proving that they could go back into the studio and record, write and record an album, regardless of. You know, I guess uh, accusations of too much recycling by Gene, uh, some songs being a little bit contrived, perhaps, whatever. Um, I'm a fanboy. Paul Stanley's my MVP on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought a lot of his songwriting was really good. Mm-hmm. I think the balls of Paul Stanley going in and recording an album in 2009 is just staggering. I never thought he would do it. I. I thought he had heard, you know, his voice and where it was kind of going and wouldn't go in and do it. And not only did he do that, that he took control to make it happen. And I I, I don't know how much of that's really true, that the album wouldn't happen if Paul Stanley wasn't producing it. But I thought he did a good job production-wise. There's some elements in there that I don't care for, but I think I'll find that with, with anyone. So, Paul, great job. MVP, and that's not to take anything away from just what Ken said, the rest of the band, because I thought Gene did a good job, but you know, a couple of his songs are just weak. Tommy did a fantastic job. You know, he could almost be the MVP in, in many ways for having the guts to get up there and be ace on an album and really kind of like give the middle finger to the army. 
and Eric, and he's just so consistent that you always forget about him. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, fine job. Mark, what are your thoughts on an MVP for the album? Well, I got to agree with you. I, I've always thought that the MVP on this record is Paul Stanley, mainly because, for me, I think that knowing how a record's made and having done quite a lot of them myself and even being a couple times in the producer chair bit myself, you have to be a good leader and you have to be a, you know, you have to have a vision of what you want when you make a record in that situation. And I think that he really did a good job of corralling the guys together, and you know, making them row the boat in all in the same direction and making sure that there wasn't any, you know, left or rights here that, you know, might have happened in, let's say, like Psycho Circus, where they went into a little couple of odd directions here and there. They just kept everything kind of, I think, going in one way. Sure, maybe some of the songs were weaker by Gene, but they were all still believable in the record context that they could have belonged on this record. And I think that he did a great job, you know, playing. I mean, in those clips, that was another thing that I took away from that, too, was that you could see him kind of being guiding them saying hey that was good guys i don't know maybe let's try this or let's go back and try this again and you know and he had people chiming in you know eric saying oh i think i could have did this better you know and taking their advice too as well and opinions on stuff and that's what you got to do when you make a strong record when you make that environment everybody works better when they feel that they're contributing when they feel that they're you know their voice is being heard and i think he did that and i think he did a great job and it, you know, it showed. I, for me personally, I like Sonic Boom better than Monster. I mean, we'll get to that in a minute. But I think that that really showed in this record how good a leader Paul Stanley can be in this situation, not only just live. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Let's finish up uh, on uh, Sonic Boom about the artwork. I did not like it. Um, it just didn't do anything for me. It didn't really harken back to 1976, even though they brought Michael Dorrit back to do it. So, you know, I, I just don't think it worked that well. I, I get where they were trying to go. I didn't like the color palette. You know, it was almost like a, a revisit of Asylum with the bright colors. Um, you know, and, and kind of like I think Michael said that Paul Stanley had had a hand in picking the colors for the album. So I've already said that I don't like Digipacks. I don't like the kind of the album cover. I don't like the rear cover. Um, what about you guys? Or does it even matter, I guess? Am I being, you know, really stupid here? Yeah. It to me, it, it matters a bit. I mean, it's kind of you're representing uh, your product, and you want to. I mean, it's like when I first saw the Asylum cover. No offense, <laughs> um, that that just you know that turned me off, and it could turn people. Sometimes you judge a book by its cover, um, even they shouldn't, um, but it's just the way it is. So for this Sonic Boom cover. Um, I was, you know, I see what they were doing, and I was kind of excited that they kind of tried to, you know, recapture maybe rock and roll over or something like that. But from recent interviews I've heard or read or whatever, uh, Michael Duray or, or Durrett, um, he, he, you know, didn't have full control. I mean, he had, I think he was going to be more car you know, cartoonish, actually, um, maybe like Rock and Roll Over, because I think Paul gave him the faces, wanted the, the photographs on the on the front and the four corners instead of the, instead of, uh, you know, a, a drawn image of some sort that uh, Michael Dore did. So um, I think, you know, sometimes Paul maybe had a little bit too much control on the, the artwork and 
should have just let you know Michael do his thing and you know I you know you know I'd love to see the the his original uh, concept to see what where it was yeah. going you know to really see but yeah it's it's not I don't think it's horrible um, they've done worse so it's it's okay yeah well personally for me I never knew beforehand who was doing the artwork for it but if I would have known I think it would have made me that much more excited because Rock and Roll Over is my favorite Kiss record bar none so that to me is one of the most iconic record covers next to Creatures of the Night for me uh, that they've ever done but in, in but with that said after I saw this cover I really don't like it I really don't think it was strong and I and I and I really Found it hard to believe. I have to literally, I literally went and checked to make sure that that was true that he did that cover because I didn't want to believe it. Because after seeing Rock and Roll Over and then seeing this, I was like, this can't be the same guy because he did such a strong cover for Rock and Roll Over, and then this was just like, oh, like, come on, man. I mean, this is something I think that my one of my uh, cousins who's in university doing graphic arts could have did this no problem. And I mean, you're talking about somebody who's just going to school. As opposed to somebody who's like a well-respected, you know, person who's made album covers before. Like, come on, it, that, you shouldn't have to make that close a comparison. I mean, come on. I, I think that they could have been better. And this again, as a, I think, is the problem with what Ken just mentioned is that he didn't have control. And when an, when you give an artist control, that's when their best work comes out. I think Roger Waters once said that. He said that the best thing that he ever did was the guy who helped him with the wall. I forget Gerald. Uh, I forget what his name is, but the guy who did the graphic stuff for the wall, he he said that Roger Waters just came to him and said, "Listen, this is my ideas that I want, and just draw." And he just let him do what he wanted. And when he let him do it, he thought that he came back with better stuff. And I think that's what they should have did with him: let him do what he's strong with, and he'll come back with something good. Just have faith in that. And I don't think they did that. Yeah, having having dealt with artists, you know, sometimes it's great to give them a concept and just let them fly with it. You know, and sometimes they work with the concept, and sometimes they work with the concept they've got in their head before you, you know, let them go. Yeah, you you, you got to give them a, a, total, a certain amount of scope to just go. What this cover looks like to me, particularly the front, is that there's too many chefs in that kitchen, you know, saying, "Oh, change this element, change that," so then it becomes disconnected mm-hmm. and no longer works. But you know, I, I'm not an art critic, um, so I, I don't think I, I want to spend too much time on that other than saying it's not as good as it could have been. All right, for the album, what could have made it better? You know, is there anything, you know, that you think they really missed on their return to the studio? I mean, for me personally, just that they had done it was the win, that they had gone and recorded. I, I, I don't think I would change a single thing on this album. I don't think I'd make a suggestion about making it better other than, um, not tying it to Walmart, which to me was just a, a weak attempt at repeating what ACDC had done with Black Ice and has completely failed for them. Um, that they couldn't even include it in Kisteria because, for whatever reason, um, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. still th- like that one album that's out there. So I wouldn't improve the music. Even the stuff that I say is weak, it's honest weak. It's stuff that they tried <laughs> to just do to make the whole product. Um, Mark, any improvements you think they could make to it on the whole? Well, well, honestly, I think I'm going to echo a lot of what you said. I mean, I think the fact that they made a record excited everybody, and I think that was the most important thing. I don't think that they could have possibly did more 
um, as far as the record goes, I think they, they did what they wanted to do. I think that they followed their instinct and said, we got to make something a bit 70-ish, go back to our roots kind of thing. I think they did that. I mean, as far as the packaging, I know I'm not a big fan of DigiPacks either, um, but I think that they really tried to include a lot for their fans. I mean, they not only do you have this record, but you have the reworkings that japanese record that they did before included with it and i think we also kind of skipped over the fact that there's a dvd with like six seven songs on there performed in argentina on there i mean you, you not only get an album but you get a dvd and i mean i watched i actually watched that dvd a couple nights in a row now and watched it and i thought it was pretty good i mean I, I really liked it i mean i for one never caught kiss on the 35 alive tour so just to have something from that era to have to watch I thought was pretty good and a good idea. I mean, I think they really kept their fans in mind with this release. I think that they, and because there was so much time in between records, I think really they could have did no wrong, I think, with the fans at this point. People were just so desperate for a Kiss record at this point that I think that they just did a good job making a record. And like I said, the, all the extras to me really helped elevate the record in my eyes. Yeah, they certainly gave value for money with this album with the, you know, the re-recordings, you know, for better or worse. And the live DVD was cool for those of you who didn't get to see the band at the time. Ken, what would be your thoughts on that? Yeah, I wouldn't change much either. Uh, you know, it's it's a good package. Um, they did their best on the songs. Most of the songs are pretty darn good. The production's pretty good on this one. And... Uh, the extras, yeah, the extras, like Mark was saying in there, um, was just a bonus. I mean, you got your money's worth, in my opinion, <laughs> on this one um, with the the greatest hits re-recorded, which, you know, it's, it's interesting hearing them re-recorded, and they sound pretty darn close to the originals. Um, they did a pretty good job on that. And then, yeah, there it is, the, uh, the live bonus that was added in there. You know, I, I'm not going to turn that down. They're going to give me a a little extra live concert, you know, part of a concert. So that's, it's cool. I wouldn't change too much, nope. Either of you guys buy the LP? I just recently. Yeah? Which, <laughs> Finally. Which one did you get? Uh, green. Yeah, that was the one I ended up with and I got rid of because it was green. Finally replaced it with, <laughs> finally okay. replaced it with a purple one. Yeah, I'm, I I'm in the. It. I'm in the market to get one. I'm... I'd really like to get a, a. They have a red one, I'm sure, right? Yeah, they do. So, yeah. Um, I'd really like to. I, I have a big thing with red vinyl. I just bought a Steely Dan Asia red vinyl, and I really, really like the red one. I mean, I'm, I'm really this year. My one of my goals is I want to collect all the Pie recording, like the UK release versions of the colored vinyl of their records. I guess it's from the beginning to I think. What is it? Rock and roll over? Maybe is the last one. Alive two is the last one in that series. Live two. Okay, yeah. So those are the ones I'm. And I know it's going to take me a while, and it's going to cost a pretty penny because they're not cheap. But I really love the red vinyl. They're not cheap, but they are absolutely beautiful. I had the alive two for a while. Yeah. Well, that's is that, uh, is, is that one you just got out the German Bellafon? We lost. Oh, we lost your sound. Oh, yeah, it's there a German. Go. I think it's a German one. Yeah, yeah, it looked like it was. Yeah, it's a very cool. I also want to yeah, find. The, I want to find the black vinyl Sonic Boom, and I wish they'd reissue it, just because you know it'd be yeah. nice for them to do a, a, an anniversary edition or something stupid. Just oh, to, Julian. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Um, are we going to talk about maybe the tour? 
the tour. Do we have to talk about the tour? Did anyone... or, or at least did we, anybody go to a show at least? Let's just say that. Ken. I went. Did, which one did you go to? Oakland or Sacramento? Oakland. Oakland, yeah. You were there too, right? Yeah, I went to both. Yeah, yeah. It was good. Uh, I had pretty pretty good seats. I, I could have been better for being, you know, getting in there right away. It was still back about almost, I want to say almost 15 rows or something or more. But, uh, in the center, but it was good. It was a, it was a great, you know, it was a solid show. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, it was it it was much better than that one like we talked about before in Sacramento that uh, happened and where there was nothing going on there. Um, but yeah, I I enjoyed it. It was good, solid performance. Yeah, you could tell Paul's was draining a little bit on his vocals there. Um, I think it's kind of before they started tune, you know, tuning down more. Um, so you could see something was, was going on there. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, any kiss show is usually pretty, pretty darn good. Yeah. That was, I mean, that year I saw them three times. I saw them at, uh, the California state fair for the end of the Alive oh, 35 tour, okay. which uh, there was nothing quite like pyro and cow shit, you know, just <laughs> the it, smell of, yeah, yeah the, the smell of pyro and the smell of, poop and the smell of dope uh, i mean it, it was it was a horrible experience i mean the new high you know the, the the positive part of that show was getting to meet tim in person finally but you know that what that show sucked the 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 show well i didn't enjoy sacramento because it was just the drive oakland was good um you know it was it was fun to be at a show where they were kind of debuting new material and obviously mm -hmm. say yeah had kind of dropped down in the song order a bit and you know that was it modern day delilah and i'm actually having to look at the set because my mind is just so freaking blank um you know it was a decent set incorporating a couple of songs from the album but not being spectacularly exciting i mean it was like a baby step in some ways so it was a cool show thoroughly enjoyed it and you know no manure it was, you know, that was a, that was a bonus. And shit, I mean, there are only eight th under eight thousand people at Oakland Arena for that show. So, mm. you know, things things really start dropping off. Mark, did you attend? Yeah, I went to a, I went to a couple. I mean, I went to the one Toronto. I think it was I don't remember if it was Toronto or Hamilton, but one of the two. There was a power outage for a few minutes there, like almost twenty minutes, and they had to restart up again. But yeah, I the one Kiss show, and I'm was not my memory kind of is not cooperating here the motley crew kiss tour was that still sonic boom no that was uh monster okay pre-monster yeah, so pre, pre pre-monster okay yeah okay because yeah i saw them a couple times but i that, that's the one show that i remember the most though so i'll save that for after but yeah i went to sonic boom i thought it was pretty good i mean the set list was pretty good for when we saw them here and they uh I thought they played well. Yeah, sure. Paul had a few croaks here and there, and, but you know, at that at that point, you know, I, I don't know if I was fully aware of how bad his voice was, but you know, I've seen lots of bands where that's happened to many different singers, so I didn't really take it to heart too much at that point. So, but I thought I thought the show was pretty good. I I I liked it. I mean, it it didn't have the same energy of excitement I found. That when I saw them on the reunion tour, obviously because it was such a big difference, you know. 
<laughs> so, but uh, yeah, other you, than that, you, you saw them very early on in the tour. And I mean, yeah. when we talk about that tour, the Kobo show that they allegedly filmed, I would love to yeah. see that professionally released. I don't want to wait for Kissology, whatever, or whatever <laughs> the hell they're going to call any video series. It would be yeah. nice if they just started putting out single shows on video or on on itunes digitally so you could rent them and download them whatever yeah well blu-ray yeah i I won't hold my (laughs) breath for that i'll just hold my breath that they can get a (laughs) freaking dvd out you know (laughs) the kobo show was special obviously they did the special tour book for that and it was the first shows of the tour you know i would love to see that it'd be great to have just like for those of us who collect bootlegs you know a, a record of that tour so you know that that would be my one thing to kind of close out the the Sonic Boom discussion. Yeah. Monster. Three years later, we Yay. get we get another album, and I, I got to say I was amazed that there was another one. It was, but the feeling wasn't like okay, great. Sonic Boom doesn't have to be the bookend to their recording material. I'm like, okay, what are they going to try now? Um, I think for me, I find Monster to be the better of the albums in terms of songs, but I find Sonic Boom to have more of the classics. So if you can kind of figure out that weird logic, I mean, it must be Julian logic. Um, I understand. Yeah, Monster has stuff on it that I just absolutely adore. Um, Hell or Hallelujah is not one of them. Um, (laughs) I, I just think, take me down Deep below. Purple? Deep purple. Oh yeah, yeah. What is I was it? gonna say, don't. I was gonna say, don't. <clears throat> when you think the hell or high, hallelujah, don't you think Deep Purple? I mean, it's directly like Burn. It's a pretty Burn. much a yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A pretty a rip of Pretty close. Yeah, maybe. But long way down. Absolutely fantastic. One for me. One of the very best songs, um, written by Paul Stanley. What I, what I find, and Tommy, okay, sorry, Tommy. Um, what I find so disappointing is that the decline in Paul's voice really does bring that song down uh, to, to be, a, for me, a case of what could have been. Uh, such a fantastic song that he's no longer to really pull off to the standard that you'd expect from Paul Stanley, but he still does a damn good job of it. Uh, so whatever magic they made happen in the studio you know, really worked. Ken, let's start with you on, uh, you know, some of the strong and weak points of Monster. You know, what were your high points? What were your low points? Well, uh, I do look like Hell or Hell. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe because it does sound like Burn. I don't know. Burn. <laughs> um, but, you know, I like it. I mean, it's, it's a good start off, kick off to, to the album, in my opinion. Um, so it, it's kind of one of my favorites. I mean, I, maybe I'm getting a little tired of it now, but uh, it's pretty good. And, I love, uh, uh, like you said, Long Way Down. First time I heard that one, I thought that was great. It has that, you know, Zep, zep kind of mm-hmm. uh, influence on it. And But, man, it's just a, a good song. So different from his normal writing. Um, but it was fresh and it, it was cool. Um, uh, Wall sound pretty good. I, I like Freak. I think Freak yeah. is unique, too. Nice. Right? I think that's a, another great song, and maybe they should have almost released that as a single, and uh, the lead single, instead of Hell or, Hell or Hallelujah. Um, I wouldn't have minded that. I think it could have gotten picked up somewhere. Um, 
you know, Backstone is pretty good too. Gene's doing pretty good on this. Uh, you know, Eat Your Heart Out, it's kind of a drop off for me. Not as good as some of the other stuff that they've done. Um, Devil's Me is kind of a. <laughs> it's good, but it's not great. It's kind of. It's kind of, To me, it's kind of reaching. Yeah, but it's better it, than I'm an animal. Yeah, it's it's better than I'm an animal, um, but it's kind of reaching, trying to go, you know, get that God of Thunder War Machine kind of thing. Fam- family theme jewels. For Gene. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, here we go again. You know, uh, um, Tommy Thayer, out of this world. I mean, it's all right. We did lightning strikes. That was all right. But now we're doing it again. Uh, I mean, is every album going to have, you know, next one is, you know, going to be called My Trip to Mars or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <it's on. laughs> you know, so, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I think he's got to go to another, something else. Just, you know, use his personal experiences maybe uh, in his next song. And it might get a better song out of it too. Actually, I mean the song, the the tune itself is not bad. I mean it's it's pretty catchy, um, but you know, I, I don't know. They just he's got to stop with that. I think. And then you go for uh, all the love for rock and roll, which is another just kind of like uh, all for the glory, but it's not quite as good as all for the glory in my opinion. Um, but but Eric Eric does a fine job on it, of course, um, but. Uh, it's it's a, it works to a, to a degree. It's not bad, but um, I don't have to listen to it every time. Um, and then the last couple, you know, take me down below. Um, and last chance are just not one couple of my favorites. Um, they're okay, uh, but I kind of I can take it or leave it on that. So th- those are that's kind of my feelings about the songs. Um, I think it could have been better. I think Sonic Boom's stronger in the song department, in my opinion. Yeah, that, that's an interesting perspective. I'm glad you mentioned Freak because that is one of my favorite ones on this album. Uh, obviously, I've already talked about Long Way Down. I'm mm-hmm. going to say on this one, All for the Love of Rock and Roll stinks. I, that is just not a song that does anything for me this time. So I actually favor Tommy's song more on this album than I did the previous one. And it was almost like Out of This World just becomes a little bit more neutral. It's not so overtly going for Ace's themes because it can be yes. kind of you can construe out of this world in different ways. Um, but one of the very best songs on this album is not even released on it in the U.S. It's right here, right now. Absolutely fantastic oh, yeah. song, right. which really should never have been left off. They yeah. uh, they used a bonus track uh, originally in Japan, a live version of King of the Nighttime World. Um, that that should have been the bonus track where mm-hmm. right here right now is included on all versions of the album it really is good and i do like last chance you know it's just like a kind of 70s pop song you know there's there's nothing so really there to it it's just like a happy clappy you know <laughs> way to finish out the album otherwise so there's a lot of good material on this this album you know gene is you know is back with yeah. the devil is me. I Pretty liked solid. it. You know, even though it was like, you know, oh, there's the family jewel style coming into, <laughs> you know, the, the theme song being reworked into a song. You know, a, a little bit glib to, you know, just say that it's, you know, a throwaway in that sense, but you know, I thought he did well and he sounded great. The whole band, you know, sounded very good on this mm-hmm. album. Mark. Yeah, well, um like you like you guys um 
hell or hallelujah. I mean, I could take it or leave it. Mainly because I think that because they released it beforehand to radio and stuff, we already had such a introduction to it. I mean, it's not like it was like saturated on the radio or anything like that, but it, it was available and it was you could hear it when you wanted to on you know YouTube and other various little spots like that. So you did have it available beforehand. So it's easy to become sick of that song because of that. I find um, I I agree with and understand what Julian's saying as far as the songs being more classic on Sonic Boom, but these songs being better. I'm thinking more from a songwriting structure. I think these ones are better. They're more risque is the right word. Maybe like maybe they took a little bit more chances in this. They, they branched their writing a bit. It wasn't like we have to do seventies and that's it. Like I think they kind of allowed themselves to do a little bit more in this than they would have on Sonic Boom because I think Sonic Boom was being the comeback in a way a record for them they had to be careful not to throw people off with something you know they wanted something that they would instantly like but but now that people were used to them being back and stuff they could take a bit more chances um I think Back to the Stone Age is a song that I didn't like at first but kind of grew on me and kind of I like uh as well A Wall of Sound I think is pretty good um I agree as well that I think this time Eric's song is not that great. And I agree that I think Tommy's song is much better on this time, this time around on this record. It, it's, it is a bit more neutral to my ears. I mean, of course, it's still going to have some sort of space connotation. There. It, it has to be. I mean, you know, this is Kiss. I mean, but, uh, it's still a bit more neutral. Um, the, the some of the, the songs that I found that, that would surprise me was like "Eat Your Heart Out." I kind of thought that acapella thing at the beginning was a little bit yeah. surprising. I, not that it's my favorite song by any stretch of the imagination, but I just found that that's kind of like the risk taking. I found that I was surprised with. Not that it was great or anything, but you know, I don't think you would have heard that at all on Sonic Boom. There's no chance in hell they would have just like that. You know what I mean? Just now, I think that people were more settled. They knew that people accepted them in this lineup, in this configuration. They were just felt more comfortable to do it. Another thing that I'm kind of interested in knowing, would love to find out, is the fact that Greg Collins is now credited as co-producer with Paul on this. I wonder how much input he actually did have on the record as far as songwriting and structure and stuff like that. Um, I also find that this son- this album sonically is a bit thicker than Sonic Boom, I think. I think that it's a bit more dense when it comes out of the speakers. Um, some people don't like that. Some people do like it. I'm kind of in the middle on it. I mean, I'm not into this whole loudness war where people over-compress the shit out of their stuff and then you put it on a waveform and look at it and it just looks like this big sausage, the audio sausage, you know? And I, I, I really hate that. I like stuff that has dynamics. There's some, you know, movement in the wave and, you know, come on, give me something like that, you know? Um, but this album kind of leads a little bit towards the audio sausage, but it's not too bad, you know? It's, it's still listenable. It's nothing like, you know those crazy uh, Metallica records like Death Magnetic, which is just unlistenable yeah, when it com- came completely out. completely brick-walled. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, brick-walled. This, this one's getting close, but... It's, it, yeah. it is. But yeah, I mean, and I think that that is another sign of them having some comfort and maybe trying a few things out. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are the songs that I like. Um, what I don't like, like I said, I don't like Eric's song this time around. 
I'm not a big fan of Freak, I'll be honest. I mean, I know you guys like it a lot, but and, I, and I've tried. I've listened to it lots of times. And this is the one record that I've listened to the least out of the whole catalog. And this week I made it a point to listen to it a few more times. And it's grown on me, I'll admit. And it's more sitting better in my overall liking of it. But I still think it has a ways to go compared to Sonic Boom. Yeah, it's it's still very new. And what I think they should have done is the same thing Motley Crue did. Motley put out, you know, when they did the tour in 2012, before this album came out, they had a single out, Sex. I didn't get onto any album, though. They, I don't think they've done any album since. Uh, no. You can't remember when sta- uh, Saints of uh, whatever it is of L.A. came out. But I think Hell or Hallelujah should have been a non-album track. You know, because it was out for so long before, and, you know, it's basically the only song anyone in America has seen them perform live um, who didn't go on the cruise. Because we didn't even get a tour for this album uh, properly, mm-hmm. if, you, if you think about what they did touring-wise. What I, what I want to say about the album is I really find, like, Psycho Circus and Sonic Boom to be analogs of Destroyer and Rock and Roll Over that you come from having a highly produced album in the form of Psycho Circus and Destroyer, and then you come back to basic rock and roll with Rock and Roll Over and Sonic Boom, and then when we get to Monster, it's almost an analog of Love Gun. You know, that you've got you know more polished yeah. version of Rock and Roll Over, so it's like they're, they're sister albums to all of those ones to the 70s that they hearken back to them. I'm going to pick the songs of the of Monster that I really dislike and Eat Your Heart Out is one. The <laughs> acapella intro to that just turns me off completely. Yeah, it was nice that they did different, something different. And, you know, Don't Touch My Ascot was something different, but didn't do a thing for me. Um, you know, just does not work. Back to the Stone Age doesn't work. It's just too, It's just too predictable, too contrived. But overall, the album, other than, you know, it's it's very tiring to listen to because it is so close to the brick wall. Um, and I, I can't take it. I would really like to see them take this one back and fix it. Yeah. Just like, you know, I think yeah. Metallica did with Death Mag- Magnetic. was and so Rush did it too. Yeah, they did with uh, Vapor Trails. So... You know, it's got great material on it, but it just sonically gets ruined by that. Um, let's move into an MVP for this one. And it, for me, uh, it's tougher. It's not Paul Stanley now. You know, Gene is the MVP for me on this album. Rather, and I'm not, not even going to say the band, because for me, he's just outstanding in his vocal delivery. And you get to hear a lot more of his bass on this album. Mm, yeah. And that, and that's something that I like. You know, hopefully it's him playing bass. Uh, but <laughs> you know, you're hearing more of Gene, and he's got his growl, and you know, he's 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 the demon. So Gene takes the cake on Monster. Ken, you know, I'm going to agree with you. Gene is the MVP, and probably for the main reason is is. Uh, bass playing um, on this was just stand, you know, you could hear it, you know, they brought it up a little bit higher than normal, and you could really hear his, his uh, bass playing. I mean, he's, gosh, he's he's a lot better than he's given credit for, I'll tell mm-hmm. you that. Um, you know, there's that one show uh, from a cruise where the, the guy recorded, and not the latest cruise, but another cruise, maybe the one before, 
where they the guy recorded right near Gene's speaker or amp, right? And it it was just mostly you could hear was his bass because it was right there and picking it up. And it's like, holy cow, man. He is just is the way he delivers his his runs and and uh, the things he does on bass is just pretty darn pretty dang good, you know. Uh so yeah, he's not given credit. He and he doesn't like to be given credit for his bass playing, you know. But uh it's good. He's MVP uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, like you said, the growls back uh the, you know, the demon. Um and uh and he's he wrote pretty solid songs too. So Yeah, and he's good. and he's not a flashy bass player and I don't think he ever no. wants to be, but he is more than solid. I mean, he knows the right, he's always been one that puts the right kind of bass line to a song mm-hmm. and doesn't overdo it. He's always been very restrained, the right note in the right place without needing 10 more notes. So, you know, yeah. I'm not a musician enough to describe it in technical terms of he just plays the right thing and, you know, mm-hmm. really, really does come across. Mark? Well, for me, it was it was tough too. I mean, like like we said, the last record to me, I think everybody had a pretty more easier time to pick an, an MVP. I had a harder time this time, but I'm gonna go with something a bit different. My MVP on this record is Tommy Thayer. Um, I really, really like his guitar playing on this. I think that he's really bumped it up a notch on this record. I feel when I listen to it, this is now somebody who's more comfortable playing on a record with Kiss now, who feels like he's found a solid home now in a band. You know, I don't think that he feels as, you know, as many people are like eyeballing him in this situation, I don't think. I could be wrong, but I I really feel that he's loosened up a bit and it kind of shows. I mean, sure, there's still, you know, acisms and stuff like that in there, but I really like his playing on this. I mean, he seems, while he doesn't have a totally identifiable sound of his own, he is starting to branch out more. I mean, he he switched now to like using Kettner amplifiers and stuff like that. And he's not doing the standard Marshall amp bit that everybody would do in Kiss before, right? So, you know, and he's doing things to give himself a bit of an identity within the band. And I think it's starting to show on this record. And I like some of the guitar solos he's done on this record. And, just overall, I think his playing is really good, and it's a good complement to Paul's rhythm guitar playing, I think. Yeah, that's a really good point, and it's always nice to say something good about Tommy, you know, because he really did grow in his role on this album. So, you know, I, I have no problem agreeing with what you've just said about him, you know, and, you know, obviously finding his own sound within the band and within a band that is so against people finding their own sound, unless those people's names begin yeah. with Gene and Paul, you know. <laughs> You know, it, it's comfortable, isn't it? It's a, it's a much more comfortable album in terms of the performance. Yeah. So artwork, Great. you know, I, I think the artwork's better than Sonic Boom. You know, just a boring picture. People obviously have been very mixed on that, and I'm, I don't even want to go into the lenticular cover on that, which, you know, was nothing new. But I think the monster cover is fantastic. I like the packaging. It much more feels like an album instead of uh, an art school art project. Yeah, I agree. I definitely like this cover a, a zillion times more than Sonic Boom. And like you said, all it really is is just a band picture of them. But then if you really think about it throughout the years, that's really all they've really been the covers. I mean, back from the very beginning, it was just a picture of them, the four of them. And that's that first album cover has gone on to be one of the most iconic covers, I think, 
uh, in Kiss history. I mean, I mean, I, I know Julian likes that cover a lot, that first record, and I think there in itself is the is the example of why you know don't overthink it. Just put what works with them, and what works with Kiss is them in makeup and costume. You put a take a good picture of them and put it on the front. You can't go wrong. I mean, you know, I think when you try to deviate from that, that's when it starts going wrong. You know, like when you don't have just that in there, then it you can go a little awry. I think so. Yeah, but just, I like the. Sorry, go. On. Just don't have brown doors or airplane sides. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Just put a picture of the band there. Yeah, exactly, and I think that that's that's a gr- great point because you know then it takes away from it because I mean as much as the elder is a great record in its own way. People had a hard time probably identifying that as a kiss record initially because they just didn't see kiss on it. You know what I mean? Whereas when you see a album with them on the front cover, whether it's asylum or whether it's rock and roll over or love gun or destroyer, you know, it's kiss, right? So keep, keep to that formula, but you can, you know, you can do so much with it. You can do different backgrounds, different settings. And just as long as they're in it, I think it works. So let's jump forward to 2016 and hopes for a new album. And hopefully everyone on on this show right now wants a new album because I want new music from Kiss, whether it's them being experimental with the Japanese girls. That was new music from Kiss. You know, as much as it won't go in my playlist, you know, I want a new album. Um, I, I want to just do a quick tangent. And when we talk about legacy acts, look at Def Leppard. Last year, they're a band that's nearly as old as Kiss. Uh, You know, obviously... You know, 78 versus 73, you know, it's only five-year difference. They put out an absolutely stellar album. And, you know, continuing that analog, Joe Elliott has vocal challenges as well as his voice changes as he ages. And there's a lot of stuff that he can no longer sing from the band's catalog that he's finding ways to work around. So even at this day and age with, you know, Paul being a bit older, I want to see them go into the studio, and I want to see what they can do. But my primary question is, should Paul Stanley produce, or should they get an external uh, producer? And what are you guys' thoughts on that, Ken? I think they should get an external producer, Um, whether whether it be Eddie Kramer or, you know, uh, Bob Ezrin. one of those two, I don't know, you know, uh, maybe, uh, but I, I prefer Eddie, uh, Eddie Kramer true because, you know, he, he was there at the beginning for their, you know, their, their demos and things, uh, and done a couple, in my opinion, his, his producing his albums, including Alive, you know, if you think Alive, um, that was partly recorded in the studio anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, everything he's done, Ace Fraley's, you know, solo album first. You know, just just a great sound. And man, if they could capture that one, the sound of that one on a new album, that'd be great. Um, so yeah, that. Or if they find someone else, out, you know, out there, I think that they need another person to, you know, a, a, another set of ears from outside to to look at what they're doing. And I think can can kind of point them in the right direction. In some cases, where they they tend to just kind of pigeon them hold themselves into certain style or sound um plus the the you know the brick wall thing from from monster was just eh, you know i, I think a, a a solid producer is not going to do that um 
So, uh, again, yes, producer, outside producer. I mean, Paul can help, of course, because he's obviously he's got a lot of experience. But I think you got to have a a boss, <laughs> in some sense, uh, above him who can overrule him um, on on certain things. Yeah, exactly. And and here's what you do: you say produced by whoever is the producer, executive producer, Paul Stanley. Yeah. yeah. So, Paul, you get to be the executive. Mark, you were shaking your head at a couple of those names. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Let me let, let me preface this by saying I'm a big, as you know, audiophile record recording guy, and I've watched a lot of these things on the internet called Mixed with the Masters, where they have this thing where they get known record producers. You pay a couple thousand bucks, you go to a studio somewhere in Europe, and you get to sit in and do a song from scratch production, everything with a known producer. They had one with Eddie Kramer. I watched it. Eddie Kramer has the chops still. He has the know-how. He's up to date with technology. He would be a good person to to take with it. I'm I was shaking my head no with Bob Ezrin because I just find him too unpredictable. I find that he has too much cachet with his name, and that he's more. I find that he's more concerned with what would make him look good rather than a band look good. Sometimes, you know, I'm Bob Ezrin. You know, the record has to be good because my name's on it. You know, I kind of get that impression with him sometimes. But you know, yeah, well. That's the thing. He he let that happen, right? You know, was he thinking of the band's good fortune at that point? I don't think so. Um, you know, that's why I think that what what I would do, you know, this is a big you know thing. Um, I would get somebody like an Eddie Kramer. Doesn't have to be Eddie Kramer, but he's a good he's a good choice, right? And more importantly, once you have somebody like that in there who they're comfortable with, who can overrule them, because, you know, that's the very important thing. Because Paul, I think, rather than worrying about 10,000 other things right now, needs to worry about writing songs that he can sing and deliver well live. So focus your concentration and your efforts on that rather than production as well. Focus on your songs. Focus on your singing. Make it as best as you can. Let somebody like Eddie Kramer worry about the sonics and the production because he'll do a much better job. The second thing I would do, too, is get an outside mixer, mixing engineer, whether it's Bob Claremountain, whether it's Chris Lord Algie, whether it's Andy Wallace, whether it's somebody who's a known mix guy because they really need help to bring their stuff up. It doesn't have to be 2012 sounds, but bring it up to a little bit more current stature a little bit more you know just that little something that's missing now but you know these guys can do that with keeping your sound in it as well you know i mean these guys have done great stuff andy wallace did some great mixing with rush records you know even uh david bottrell who's done gabriel stuff he's just did the latest rush live album he did a great job with it i mean there's a lot of great mix engineers out there to do it you know and even on top of that, if you want to get really technical, find a top-notch mastering guy, Bob Ludwig, and these guys who do this stuff. Make sure you find somebody to, to do this. I mean, you got Kiss is a band that is in such high standing with you know the fans and the music community in a lot of ways. They could afford to do stuff like that. I mean, why can't they put their foot down and say, "Listen, we want this guy, this guy, and this guy to do it. Let's go and do it." And that's it. I think they're just imposing their own restrictions on themselves right now by saying, you know, only Paul's going to do it and that's it. I think it's a mistake. They should let somebody else come in and do it. It would really help. And yes, I sound like I'm kind of bitching and stomping my hand on the table about this, but it's it's a point that's kind of 
touchy with me because I love music production. I love great records. I sit in my basement a lot listening to records at full blast and enjoying the experience. I want to, damn it, enjoy a new Kiss record like that coming up this year. Yeah, that wasn't a rant. That was passion. You know, thank you. And I totally agree with you on the mastering side because that's where your brick walling occurs. You know, obviously a certain amount of it is how the album is recorded. So that comes back to the engineer. But how it is mastered, I want someone to master an album that understands that the fucking volume (laughs) button exists for a reason, that it doesn't have to be balls to the wall loud before you even get off one. On, mm-hmm. on your volume control. that That is its purpose. But I think um, Mark really nails it with, you know, Eddie Kramer. Um, it's a bookend. If this does, and, you know, when we're talking about 2016 and all of these guys age, that this, if they do an album, would most likely be it. You know, Eddie is a nice bookend to that, that he did the Kiss demo in 73. So from an emotional, uh, you know, point of view you know, maybe nostalgic, you know, it would be nice for that to be the case. However, I I wouldn't want Ezrin. Um, He's not the right guy for an album at this stage, even though he's doing some fantastic work with Deep Purple, another, you know, obviously legacy act in a a similar sort of predicament to the band. And I do like his work. Um, I would like to see how far this lineup can actually go. If this is to be it... I want to see everything that they can do musically. So when we we get back to the discussion about a producer, there needs to be someone who can overrule the guys as much as anyone can overrule the guys who are paying the bills. Um, There needs to be someone who can say, we need an external songwriter to help you with that song and to not be afraid of bringing in external writers to make the material the very best that it can be. I want to see Paul not in a producer chair. I want to see Paul focusing, as was said, on writing the very best songs that he can write to write for his voice. And I want an, a, a producer and engineer who can best capture Paul to make him sound the very best that he can sound, regardless of whether he can, you know, perform the song live you know i want it to be as close and as honest to what he can do in the studio um so i want another producer and i don't know who i want i wouldn't mind them kind of going to someone new you know the the bob rocks of the world have worked with some very difficult and challenging bands um we all know who bob rock works with a lot oh yeah yeah or did you know i i think he could be someone who would bring something to the band for them to really go out on a very high note by making them stretch themselves, by making them think more about the song and being able to musically discuss with them on the same level as Bob Ezrin. I mean, Bob Rock and Bob Ezrin both have extremely strong musical backgrounds that they can pick up an instrument and show them. They can explain to someone in terms that they can understand as maybe a non-trained musician. But I think Bob Rock has a, a lot of the the clout and the respect that would be interesting to see Kiss work with, regardless of how good Eddie Kramer. Eddie, Eddie Kramer is a great engineer, you know, so I have no doubt that he'd be able to capture the band incredibly. But I think if they were going for a simple album, you know, just a straightforward Kiss album, use Eddie. If they're going for a statement, something to really slam down the gauntlet and say, damn it, this is it, this is the end, this is Kiss's final album, this is fist in the air, to use Bob Rock. 
yeah, Bob Rock or a Brandon O'Brien or somebody new, like you said. I mean, those guys. I mean, Brendan O'Brien's done some ACDC stuff of late as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, th- these are guys who know how to deal with huge bands. You know, because with big bands, there's big egos sometimes, and you have to know how to control it and to keep them in line that way. I mean, it's too bad that Bruce Fairbairn died. I love the work that he did. I just think, though, that, you know, he came in with the, at the wrong time, I think, with them. But, uh, you know, that's, what, that's the kind of guy they need. I think you're 100% right, though, with, with Bob Rock. I mean, Bob Rock has dealt with some real putzes. I mean, we saw that whole Metallica one and a half, you know, a year in a life with Metallica there. I mean, those guys were difficult at best to deal with on some of it. But, but look at the record that came out at the end. You can't deny it. I mean, what did that sell? 16 million in the U.S.? Like, come on, man. I mean, you can't tell me that this guy doesn't have some sort of club. But like you said, there's a lot of producers out there, even newer guys too, that are out there that can do stuff, you know? I mean, just... You got to just open your ears and you have to approach it. That's, this is the thing I find too, is that bands don't take the time to sit down, pull out a whole whack of records and sit down and actually listen to them and say, listen, what is this guy doing that I like or I don't like? And why? what, what would they do to help my music? That's You have to kind of look at it as a research thing. You know, you can't just go, uh, this guy and just pick some guy. Because I mean, you don't know what he could do. I mean, Peter Henderson is a great producer and stuff. And I mean, he worked with Rush for one album. And that's because, you know, it, it, it didn't jive with them. They didn't grace under pressure with them. It was the hardest record they ever made. But he's a great producer. He's done lots of other things, you know, maybe Foreigner and stuff like that. And, you know, those are awesome records, you know. But that's what it is. You have to research and find out what works and what clicks and use those people to your advantage. That's what they're there for. Yeah, and that's the same case with me mentioning the external songwriters. You know, bring, yeah. bring them in. Don't be afraid. I'm not saying that you have to put you know desmond child on speed dial again or adam mitchell you know get someone get someone new who's maybe work in the rock realm has inspired i mean paul listens to music you know these guys have got gene hopefully as a one-time record mogul listens to music and has some people who have written some stuff don't just go out and buy their fucking music gene get them in sit down with them and write a song from scratch with them don't buy their stuff because that just cheapens what you do. You know, don't be afraid to freshen Kiss's sound or catalog with, you know, someone someone else's name because you know records don't sell that much these days. You know that the publishing isn't worth what it once was. You know that it's about the touring and the merchandising, not the stuff that's on iTunes. So from that perspective, there's no excuse now to keep it all in-house. You know, throw someone a bone. Find some emerging artists. You know, look at some of those demo tapes that you received, Gene. You know, there's a lot of talented people out there who could take your songs, make them better, or that you might actually find you have a rapport with and use a final album as a launching pad for, you know, some new talent, some names that people haven't heard of as songwriters. Um, Just before we wrap up, I want to cover two other things, you know, and that is guests. Should there be any guests on an album if it's presumed that this will be the very final Kiss album? Ken? Guests? Oh, <laughs> if it was the final album? Uh, shoot, you know. Get Peter Christen? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking. If you throw Ace, you know, one artists. bonus song that has the original four on it, maybe, as a bonus in some fashion, um, if you can get the original four, uh, on, at least on one song, I think that would be very cool. To do if it was if they were going out with a final album, final recording, the final anthem maybe, 
uh, that Gene wrote, right? Or whoever is going to write that final anthem. So I, I could see it happening. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if I see it happening, but I, I wouldn't be mad if they did something like that. I think it would be kind of cool. I like that. I'd love to see them do that for a record store day, actually. Oh, know, yeah, yeah, just a, you know, a single. It, you know, even outside of, you know, if that's going to be a bonus track, you know, oh, record yeah. day release, record record store record day, day release. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Managed to say it, Mark. Well, that's that's a question that I wasn't expecting and really kind of sent my brain for a little bit of a loop there for a second because for that to happen, and I'm thinking of this from a producer record making kind of way this is this is dangerous territory you stepped in my friend because now if you go in here and bring in guest people in now and you, if it's, if you're saying that this is the last thing for sure that we're doing that's one thing okay yeah we can bring in guests you can maybe bring in peter and ace and bring in them to do a song and maybe the guys won't take it so personally that they're in there because it's the last record you want to go out on a you know nice note right but here's the problem if you go out and make a song or two with these guys, and all of a sudden, for some reason, it connects and clicks and does good, now what? Now they're going to be pushing, no, 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 get these guys back. Come on, this song is awesome. You're going to get record people pushing to get them back together because the song did really good. Let's make a record. You know what I mean? Like This is kind of something that's it, it's dangerous territory. But, I mean, would I like to see it? Sure. Maybe if, if they said, yes, this is our last album. For sure, we're going out and we're going to have all these special guests on here and stuff like that. I mean, why not? I mean, you know, bring, even bring in Anton Fig for like a guest drum session for one song, you know, for yep. for you know memory's sake, right? You know, kind of how like they touched on all these people on the, the Scooby-Doo thing, how they had the little icons in that book with all these people. Bring in some of these guys in, like represent, you know, and, you know, have a real kind of a Kiss album that has like everybody in the you know, family brought back in, like a Kiss family album almost, you know? Yeah. And, and it would be, I think it would be great. But like you said, as great an idea that is, it does come with its dangers. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. You know, the dangers you just mentioned of what happens if it connects is, yeah, great. Leave them wanting more, you know, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't, yeah. ha it doesn't, yeah. don't, don't be worried about it being a mega success. I'm sure, you know, this is Kiss. We'd, we'd probably find some way to screw it up if it was, you know. So. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's almost nice that, you know, if they could find a Vinny song that he possibly wouldn't sue them for using, you know, that, you know, some back, I know there are some back, you know, plenty of backing tracks that they worked on in Lick It Up and Creatures era with Vinny, you know, and maybe use that instead of get, calling him up and get, you know, trying to get with him in person, you know, throw some pennies his way. Uh, yeah. But it'd be nice to have, you know, those people who are connected with the band, you know, get Bob Kulik in to, you know, do a solo, you know, you know, a guitar war with Tommy, you know, you know, if, if it if it is the end and they're going in there knowing that it's the end, that it's their coda, have some fun with it. Yeah. So that would be awesome, really. If you think about it, it would be awesome. They could all come in, shake hands, hug each other, like a big group of fifteen of them, saying, "You know, let's forget about everything for one week and let's write some songs together and record." That would, that would be like you know the, uh, a big rainbow in the sky moment. You know, like if that could happen. You know, yeah, maybe a, a Kiss family here in aid. If you remember that from the eighties, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, maybe, lo I love that. Maybe, maybe find a charity thing to do a big song with everyone ever connected with the band who's still, you know, with us to to do. All right. So I guess that wraps up Sonic Boom, Monster, and, you know, 
modern Kiss recording and looking to 2016 and whether the band do or don't, you know, as you've listened to us go on about, you know, our kind of thoughts today, what are yours? What would you like to see out of a, out of a new Kiss album in 2016? Who do you like to see produce? How would you like to see them treat the songs? Would you like to see external songwriters? Any stylistic changes, you know, from Monster and Sonic Boom? Guests? Packaging? Everything? You know, what are your thoughts? So, you know, look out for the threads on the FAQ message board, Facebook, and I think that that's the only place we put them. You know, let us know your thoughts on that because... Like everything to do with Kiss, every fan's going to have their own opinion, and some of them are going to be pretty damn adamant about their opinion being the only right one. So, for Alex, thank you for joining us today, Alex, wherever you are, you're in class. Ken and Mark, thank you both, and thank you all for listening and giving us your ears. We hope you enjoyed, and we will see you on the board. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. We hope to see you again.